I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Those are the first three verses of Psalm 18, which is the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, May the 26th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. I got the date wrong. It's actually May the 27th. But uh, thank you for joining me today. We're still in the book of Ruth, the first epistle to Timothy from Paul, and the Gospel of Luke. <clears throat> so we're going to begin with... This is so hard because there's so much in these in these lessons that it's, it's difficult to get everything into the time that I'm allowing myself to do this with. And so where we begin, remember, is is that that um, Ruth has been gleaning among the fields of Boaz, and he has provided abundantly for her, protected her, and done everything he can to, to help these people, uh, Naomi and Ruth. And so Naomi says to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? It's an interesting way of saying that because what, what she's been forced to do is work. And the Jewish belief is that Ruth was a, not just some Moabite woman, that she was actually a Moabite princess. And so the, it would make sense if she's saying, I'm doing this to find rest for you. It also ennobles Ruth in a further way because she had much to lose in, in leaving her people behind and coming to uh Israel and forsaking her God and doing all that. She's, she has renounced her inheritance and her heritage in doing so. Now, we don't have any idea whether that's actually true or not, but Naomi says, should I not seek rest for you? And so it's not, is it rest from the labors that she's been doing, or is it some greater rest than that? And I'm positive that it is a greater rest than that, and it's proven by what she says next. She says, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But don't, don't make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he'll tell you what to do. Now, I want to stop real quickly and, and, and say how ridiculous some things are in interpretation. This uncovering of the feet in different places has to do with the sexual innuendo. It's a way of getting around saying something occurred. Here, there's no question that is not what occurs at all between these two godly people. It would have expected a Moabite woman whose um, family line begins in ignominy and it begins with the incestuous um, rape, I guess, maybe the right word, of Lot's daughter gets him drunk and has sex with him so that she can have a child. So that's the, the beginnings of the Moabite people. And, and so the, the Israelite view of Moabites is they're just six sexually immoral people. And so that would play into a stereotype if that's what's happening here. But no, I believe this is nothing more than her uncovering his feet. And then, because you're going to see later that he wants to avoid any kind of, any even hint or whiff of scandal in any of this. There's no question that she's not doing something sexually immoral here. She's literally lying at his feet and uncovering his feet. 
so that he will essentially, his feet will get cold. So he'll notice this thing. And so she replies, she, Ruth, replies to what Naomi has just commanded her with these words, all that you say, I will do. And if those words ring familiar to you, then you sh- then you win the gold star for the day, because it's exactly the response of the people of Israel to this statement in Exodus 19. God says to Moses to go tell the people this, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. You'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so when, when Ruth says to Naomi, all that you say I will do, she is that's a huge statement of faith and trust that she's putting in Naomi. But it, but it also hearkens to the Israelites' own response to the offer of the covenant relationship with God prior to the giving of the Ten Commandments. So she is reacting to Naomi in the same way the Israelites reacted to God himself speaking through Moses. So there's this, there's this powerful connection with the Israelites, even though she's a Moabite. She's showing that she has the character of a true Israelite in her response here. And so she does exactly what Naomi told her to do. And then Boaz ate and drank, and his heart was merry, so he apparently had a great harvest. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and so she did what she was told to do. She uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet, and he wanted to know who she was. There wasn't enough light to know. She answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you're a redeemer. So she's identifying herself as Ruth, your servant, and then says it again, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So I'm a servant and you're a redeemer. And, and it's interesting that she chooses this language of spreading your wings, because remember, back in Ruth 2, in verse 12, when they first meet, Boaz says to her, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so he, her statement about uh, spreading your wings over your servant for your redeemer is essentially elevating him and saying you are one who is a godly man. God's character is to spread his wings over his people. And I'm asking you to do the two things God does, which is to be my redeemer and also to spread your wings over me. And so he, she's asking him to take on the character of the one whose image he's created. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. There's this odd language in all these things. Servant, redeemer, daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first in that you've not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. You're not chasing men like we expect Moabite women to do. In fact, instead, you've come to an older man and offered yourself in this way. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I'll do all that you ask. It's the same thing she said to Naomi earlier. I will do all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you're a worthy woman. What a powerful statement. What a wonderful thing for him to say to her. And remember this, earlier, when we first are are introduced to Boaz, he's described as a worthy man. So now we have a worthy man and a worthy woman. And now it is true that I'm a redeemer, yet there's a redeemer nearer than I. That person would have right of first refusal. So this person is, is a more close kinsman 
than Boaz himself would be, and so he's actually the one who has right of first refusal with respect to the land that Elimelech owned. And so he says, remain tonight, and in the morning, if he'll redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, he's taking an oath, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. In other words, you don't have anything to worry about. We've got to do this other thing. We've got to go offer the land to this person first. But if they turn it down, don't worry about it. I'll be the redeemer. I'll be exactly what you said I was. And so she lay there in the morning, but rose before anyone, before one could recognize another. In other words, it was so dark even when she left, so she didn't stay late. And he said, let it be not be known that the women, woman came to the threshing floor. And then he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. And so then he puts into that six measures of barley, of the barley that he had just winnowed. And then she went into the city and came to her mother-in-law and who wanted to know how it went. And then he, she explained about the measures of barley. And then she says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And again, so we begin that reading with rest, that she's going to get, Naomi is going to give rest to her daughter-in-law. And it ends with the statement that the man will not rest until the matter settled today. He's not going to rest until he can give rest. It's a a powerful and beautiful little story. And so then here we come into the gospel lesson. At the very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And we don't know whether they're being genuine or not here, whether they're just trying to get rid of Jesus and get him to leave for fear, or whether or not Herod does indeed intend to kill him, as he had killed John the Baptist. And we have no indication anywhere in scripture or the record anywhere that that Herod actually wanted to kill Jesus and, and he says go ahead and tell that fox behold I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I finish my course nevertheless I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the following day for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem so remember he had set his face to Jerusalem and now he's coming to that place and then he prays over Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. So th this Redeemer, Jesus, who is also God, <coughs> offers constantly, he says, to spread his wings over Jerusalem, but you were not willing. Not willing to say all that you ask I will do. And so they're not willing to come under it. God's always waiting for us to come under His loving embrace. He's willing always to spread His wings of love over us, that wings of a Redeemer, the, the wings of the one who protects and owns these chicks, these children, as His own. But they're not willing to submit themselves to Him. We can, we can receive that protective embrace to the extent that we receive Him not just as Redeemer, but also Lord. And we offer ourselves, as Ruth does, as the servant, recognizing the goodness of the one who is the Redeemer. And then we submit ourselves to them in the way that she submitted herself to Naomi in the way in which Boaz said, I'm going to submit myself to you. I'm going to do all that you ask. And there's this loving submission in there that we need to take note of because it's something that 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 word itself has become an accursed thing right to say that you're going to submit has become something we have to take out of even the marriage covenant 
these days. But, but that's the important part of this. If I want to come under your wings, then I've got to submit to you. And that's because I love you and I trust you and I believe not only you're great, but you're good. And he says, behold, your house is forsaken and I tell you, no, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is exactly what they do say when Jesus comes into Jerusalem the next time. They receive him initially with gladness as that Redeemer and as the Messiah, the son of David. And yet then they reject him shortly after that. So his prophecy here comes true in the very short term. But then there's another time when he's going to be received into the heavenly Jerusalem as blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When Paul writes to Timothy, he's essentially encouraging him to step into those shoes and to say, you are the one now who comes in the way of the Lord, in, in the name of the Lord. You come proclaiming the name of the Lord, and you do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are anointed and appointed for the role that you have in Ephesus, Tim- Timothy. Don't let anyone look down their nose at you because you're, you're young. No, even though you're young, you've been anointed for this purpose, and you've been chosen and set apart to do this very thing in this place. And, and he says, don't worry about all the other stuff that's out there. He says, it, it, he said, the Spirit says that the, in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And then he, he's going to talk about, um, so there's, remember recently when we were working through First John, I told you that, that there, there's a certain form of Gnosticism called docetism, which Jesus says that Jesus just seemed to be a man, but he really was not. Um, and, and there's also was the teaching with, among them in, in that particular place, there was a teaching that said that you can eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, and none of the stuff we do to the body matters at all. So there's, there's two sides of that coin. So there's this one thing that says there's no such thing as sin involving the body because the body is immaterial. It's only the soul that matters, and you can do anything you want to the body and not harm the soul. And then there's this other side of that same teaching, which is exactly the opposite of that. It's the obverse, not the reverse. In, in other words, it's the mirror image of that. And the mirror image of that is, is that, that everything you do is potentially sinful and so therefore you've got to deny the body altogether so you got to deny the desires of the body and you've got to somehow decide that that all desires that might be fulfilled in the flesh are wrong and so he says these people forbid marriage and so they're forbidding more than marriage it's it's this fence around the law sort of a thing that that eve speaks of actually in in the garden when she says we're not supposed to eat of that tree or even touch it and so that's exactly the principle that's at work here they forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods god created to be received with thanksgiving by those who came to who believe and know the truth for everything created by god is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving that it comes from him for it's made holy by the word of god in prayer and, and so there's this denial of the body whenever actually the, all the pleasures of the body are not wrong. They're meant to be enjoyed within certain limits. You're not to be a glutton. You're to marry one woman. And sex is to be enjoyed within the, the bounds of the covenant of marriage. And so Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You, you're, they're adding to the law. And the problem is, is that, that then they're going to be teaching something that only a demon would teach. 
and, and that is to deny the goodness of God and to deny the word of God because God didn't forbid marriage and he didn't forget he didn't forbid people to eat so that's exactly what Paul is saying here and he says if you put these things before the brothers you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus and then he says don't have anything to do with irreverent silly myths but train yourself for godliness and he says, well, bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life, of co life to come. He says, practice following and living according to the law of the Spirit. And the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. And he says, just, just keep on doing this and then command and teach these things. But set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and in purity. So let them see what the Christian life is intended to look like. Be the example to your people as Jesus was the example to us. And it's a painful reality when we sin because it points to the, the failure of our, of our own flesh to be able to do these things. But, but Paul is incredibly straightforward with Timothy. He said, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Don't neglect the gift you have. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you'll save yourself and your hearers. Make it clear what you're teaching and then live the way you're teaching so that all can see that this, this is not above and beyond. This is just what the expected life of a Christian is, that there's no hypocrisy in, the, in you, that what you say is what you do, that you're not tying burdens on others, you're not willing to bear yourself. Go above and beyond. Love your people in the same way that Christ loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. Be that offering and sacrifice to God on, for the sake of the people whom you've been given to lead in the faith. And that's important for every single one of us, for all of us are called to be a holy nation and to be priests of God. And we're, we're called to reveal him to the world in thought and in action. Let us not be found wanting in that regard.